Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Whoa, let me get this straight, Doc. You built a podcast devoted to classic TV shows? Marty, you've got to think historically. TV retrovision. It's the way of the future. You mean the past. Exactly. I'm Ed Gross, and this is TV Retrovision, the podcast where we celebrate all our yesterdays, today and tomorrow. One of the most popular television shows of the 1980s was The Wonder Years which followed the humor and drama of Fred Savage as Kevin Arnold and the rest of the Arnold family, as they navigated the waters of societal change at the late 1960s. This season, ABC is bringing back the show set during that same era, but told from the point of view of a black family. At the moment, though, our focus is on the original, and joining us is writer-producer Mark B. Perry, who reveals how The Wonder Years was his big break, and discusses the power of the show. He also shares some of his other television work on shows like Picket Fences, Law and & Order, and Party of Five. Well, you talked how you got into writing, basically, uh, and we, but to come in on something like The Wonder Years, first of all, I mean, yes, you sent a spec script in, I guess, right? That's how you got in? Yes. But what an amazing entry point, and how rare, I think, for somebody to come in on a show like that. Well, I feel very, very fortunate that part of it it was was the right place at the right time, but also, as it turns out, the right script. I've wanted to be a TV writer since I was in third grade. I had a wonderful third grade teacher who inspired me to want to write. And third grade, that's amazing. Yeah, and encouraged me. In fact, a few years ago, I was able to track her down and got in touch with her again. She actually remembered me as a, she said, you were a well-spoken young man whose hair was always neatly combed. (laughs) Better than the other teacher's impression, you are a morbid young man. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, um, well, I did write a short story about a serial killer in the third grade class. And instead of calling social services, I won the, I won the literary award at the end of the year. So, and then also the Dick Van Dyke show, which is very common for a lot of writers to say this, but it's true. I, as a kid growing up, whatever you know i watched it and i thought wow if what rob and sally and buddy do for a living is a job sign me up you know i want to sit in a room all day and make jokes and play darts and you know come up with funny things um and so when i i finally moved out here i knew nothing about the business and i had i was a big agatha christie fan when i was in high school and so murder she wrote had premiered and i wrote a spec murder she wrote that was the first real thing that I wrote. And then through a comedy of errors, I managed to get an agent who was willing to send it to murder. She wrote, which was odd, but um, uh, they said nice things, but ultimately nothing came of it. But I ended up uh, in the hip pocket of this agent who said, sure, whatever you write next, send it to me. So I specced a couple of, I did a couple of spec twilight zones when it was revived on CBS. Right. Um, in fact, one of them I hope to do something with one day, whether it's a short film or something, I don't know. But And so this agent, for whatever reason, she would send my scripts to those shows, and then the shows would say nice things but pass. Right. 
And back then she would actually send the script back to me in the mail. I mean, this was, this was wow. <laughs> how old school this was. Really? And I wrote my murder. She wrote on a typewriter to just <laughs> to really date myself. And then a partner, I wrote with a partner, Dudley Sanders. He's a, he was a, he's a retired professor in Decatur, Georgia. And uh, we wrote a spec screenplay. Okay. That was an action adventure piece. And the agent that was representing me in television, she got very excited about it. This was 1988. And ultimately she said, you know, we're going to send it all over town. We're going to have a bidding war. And they did, they sent it all over town. And the response we got from everybody was pretty much the same. This would be the most expensive movie ever made. It's a great <laughs> script, but this will be the most expensive movie ever made. And nobody cares about the Titanic. <laughs> Yeah, because you got to sink in. Who cares? When people are going to drown. I understand what you're saying. 1988. Nine but, years Nine years before. Go ahead. <laughs> so, but I had this agent and then a friend. Uh, I'm not a sports person. And so I did not watch the Super Bowl. So I did not see the premiere of the Wonder Years mm -hmm. in 1988. Right. But uh, my friend John... Uh, told me about it he said there's a show that premiered and it's it's blew me away you have to watch it and he told me what it was so the first episode that i saw was uh the second episode swingers where um they steal the uh everything you wanted to know about sex right and they have that great moment where norma comes in and finds them with the book and she said, it's not so much you having this book. What were you doing in my dresser drawers? <laughs> Which I was like, what is this? Is, and it was my generation. I mean, I was, I think a couple of years younger than the character on the show, right. but it was all of my cultural references. And by the way, I tried in so many different episodes that writing, I tried to work in dark shadows. I would, put, I would put that, they were in the basement, you know, they had that TV in the basement where they would watch stuff. And I had them watching Dark Shadows. And for whatever reason, it always got taken out. I don't know if it was a rights thing or what, but it always yeah. got taken out. So I never got to do that. And I never got to do a Halloween episode, which I also wanted to do. Right. But anyway, so I, um, I, I started watching the show. I watched the first season and uh, I just thought that those were six of the best things I've ever seen on television. Yeah. So simple so beautiful uh and the cast was it, the whole thing just blew me away and i was working in the legal department at 20th century fox as a i had uh, started as an assistant i started as a temp and then i was working as a legal assistant and then i managed to get a job as a script clearance reader which mm -hmm. meant i was reading episodes of shows that were in production at fox like uh mr belvedere and L.A. Law and Hooperman with John Ritter right. and um, a few others. And I would read the scripts and write these obnoxious memos that I've come to loathe when you get them from legal clearances saying you have to change this character's name because there's really a person by this name in that right. town. You know, uh, you can't mention this brand in a disparaging way, you know. So, but I, I was the guy writing those obnoxious memos, but I had an office with a door that closed and a computer. And so I was working in between, right? And and so in between scripts, you know, I I did my job, but 
but I also, I, I was writing at night and in the mornings and then whatever time I could grab in my lunch hour in my little office closet hmm. in the Fox Plaza building, by the way, while they were filming Die Hard. Just oh shit! Really? Yes, yes. Oh yeah, it would be the yeah right. Nakatomi Plaza. The building right, had right. just opened, and we had moved from our offices on the lot into the high rise. And I remember leaving work one day and walking out, and they had dressed the outside for the end of the movie, where all the destruction is everywhere. Right. And I was like, "This is so cool." That was such a <laughs> anyway, movie. I digress. Um, okay. I so I wrote. I had uh, when I was a kid, my family used to go to Myrtle Beach. And we would go every summer because that's where my parents had had their honeymoon back in the day. And uh, one summer I met this older girl and I had my first French kiss. I had, you know, fond nostalgic memories. And I thought, well, maybe there's an episode in that. And so I wrote the spec wonder years about the Arnold family going on vacation and so forth and so on. And this agent who was representing us, even with the Titanic script fiasco, um, she, the Wonder Years was one of the few shows that would actually read spec scripts for their show. A lot of shows wouldn't do that because they were worried about, you know, copyright legal issues that somebody might claim you'd stolen something from them. The Wonder Years would actually read spec Wonder Years because they felt that the voice of the show was so specific. And so, yeah. And so uh, my script was sent over there and the co-executive producer was Bob Stevens at the time. And he took spec scripts home for the weekend and he came back in and he went to the executive producer, Bob Brush, and he said, you should read this one. And Bob read it and they called me in to, uh, they wanted me to come in and pitch. And when my agent said, uh, can you come in and pitch? <laughs> my response was pitch what? And she said, ideas for episodes. And I actually said, I don't have any. I, I wrote, I wrote that. Right. And she said, well, you better come up with some by Tuesday. And so I, I had never pitched. i never, I came up with a handful of episode ideas and I went in and I pitched I remember it being disastrous. My mouth dried out. I mean, it was ultimately I got an assignment when I said, as I was walking out the door, it was in the, it was at the end. They were in post-production on the final episode of the second season, which was only 18 episodes, I believe, because there was a writer's strike. Yeah. In 88, right? Who knows? 88 or 89, right? Yeah. It was the second season. It was a shorter season. It wasn't a full episode order because of the writer's strike. So they were posting the last episode where I think Winnie's going away, Paul's going away. So I wrote- Kevin's old pissy, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, once again. So I wrote this, uh, I wrote the assignment, I turned it in, didn't hear anything. And I thought, well, that was my shot. You know, it's all over, it's done. I'll never work in this town. And then they called and they said, we have some notes. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. So I went in and the notes were, we rebroke the entire episode. I mean, we, the story changed, we threw it out, but I had blurted out. What if they said Wayne was going to get his driver's license. And I said, well, then he has to terrorize Kevin once he, once he has car privileges, the way my sister did me. Right. Because my sister was two years older. She was very popular and uh, she denies this now, but it's true. Um, she would drive, she had to drive me to school when I started going to the same school with her, but she would make me get out before she got to the parking lot. <laughs> so people didn't know you were associated. Right. So 
I, you know, and so I just blurted that out and that became an episode that became Wayne on wheels, which was actually the first thing that I got paid to write. And I went in, we rebroke the story and I thought, oh, this must, I must've really done a bad job, but I didn't understand how it works. That, that if, you know, if I had done a bad job, they would have said, thank you very much. And they just would have rewritten the script. Right. But they gave it to me and I rewrote it. Uh, based on the new uh, story that we came up with. And then I turned it in and again, I didn't hear anything. And then finally I got a call saying they wanted me to come be on staff for 10 weeks. Wow. Truly that was one of those things where it was like an overnight change in my life. It was like, wow, I just got a job writing, which has been my goal for the last however many years. Right. Since they're good. And uh, so I showed up and I was working with Dave Stern, Matthew Carlson, Todd Langan, uh, Carrie Aaron was there, uh, or she came in later, Jill Gordon. I mean, there were, it was an extraordinary group and I was so intimidated. But when I started my first day, Bob Brush, the showrunner called me in his office and he said, um, uh, we're actually gonna shoot Wayne on wheels. We're gonna shoot the first few episodes out of order. We're going to shoot Wayne on wheels will be the first thing we shoot. Okay. And then he said, but we're buying your spec script and it's going to be the season opener this year. Wow. So I somehow ended up writing the season premiere for the second season of the third season of the wonder years. The episode was called summer song where they go to the beach. Kevin meets an older girl thinks he's fallen madly in love. Of course. Wants to make Winnie jealous. Um, and I remember going to the set, the, when they were the first thing, when I first went to the set, they were shooting the scene at the beginning where they're loading the car for the trip to go. Right. And Paul shows up with his huge suitcase and I was just blown away. I walked in, I walked out there and I couldn't believe that something that I had written, you know, in my little office and in my little closet office at home, even was now, you know, all these people were scurrying around and bringing it to life. And I was working yeah. on the wonder years. That's pretty amazing. It's extraordinary. And I stayed there for, I was on the wonder years for three seasons. I left before the last season I had, the show was, Kevin was growing up. It was not so much wonder years anymore. And I felt like it was time to move on and, you know, and it, but I also felt I, I had written 17 episodes in three seasons and right. i mean that's different writing credits but sure um some of them were shared but um so i moved on after that and left the show and um i've to this day i still haven't seen the last season although i did buy the um, the box set the locker the locker set it's beautifully done and it's on my list. I'm going to, I'm going to rewatch that series. And I want to watch the, the final season that I never saw. When I left there, my agent at the time, Mark Rosen, he said, um, he said, well, what do you want to do? He said, you're coming off the wonder years. He said, you can either go into drama or you can go into comedy. And the thought of, from what I had heard about most comedy shows, the thought of sitting in a room until four in the morning, trying to be funny sounded like, you know, a whole new version of hell. Yeah. And I said, you know, I think I, I think I'm more comfortable writing drama. And so he got me in for a meeting with the showrunners of uh, Northern Exposure. Mm -hmm. And I did a freelance Northern Exposure that turns out it was an audition script and I didn't get the part. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I did get a Northern Exposure credit um, for the episode that introduced Anthony Edwards as the um, bubble guy, the guy living in the bubble. Right. With chemical insensitivity. Uh, but that script got the attention of David Kelly. Yeah. And he, uh, he hired me on Picket Fences, which was my, my next gig after that. TV Retrovision and our conversation with Mark B. Perry will continue in a moment. Picket Fences to me was a show that there was a certain like uh, awareness that came about showrunners. I think, I mean, I'm in my thirties, I probably knew more about showrunners than I'm giving myself credit for, but I love the fact that David, you guys created the show, which was so unique and such a great uh, distinctive voice for whatever that show was for the first, what around four seasons, I think, and first three seasons, whenever it was. And then David left. And I have never seen the TV show self-destruct as fast as, as Picket Fences self-destructed. Well, I was only on the first season. Okay. So you're innocent. And I have, excuse me? You're innocent. You didn't do this. <laughs> I was only on the first season. Yeah. And I learned a lot working uh with david kelly okay uh that i feel like has made me better at what i do but it was kind of artistically frustrating because david david wrote every episode right he wrote every episode of the show and i i would pitch him ideas that would become episodes but he wrote uh, but, but he would write them. I, mean, I wrote some scripts, but you know, nothing. And I, and I don't fault him. I mean, it was his show and, and he you know, had every right to do that. And, but what it did was it meant I could go be on the set. Right. I could be on the set watching the shooting and I was learning and I could go into post and just, you know, be a fly on the wall. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got, I, I learned quite a bit. And then at the end of the season, I, I just told David, I think I need to move on. And he was like, I completely understand. I mean, he was very forthright about the whole, I mean, when he told me, you know, he, he basically said, I'm probably going to write everything. Which he did on all his shows, I think until recently where he started stepping back a little bit. I think so. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know, but I, I have great admiration for him. And I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's a machine. Yeah. He's he, amazing. He, he once got on a plane and he wrote longhand. He writes everything longhand. Right. And he got on a plane to go somewhere for some function. I think he was going to New York. And when he got to New York, he faxed back a script that he had written on the plane <laughs> for the script uh -oh. coordinator. Um, so that was, you know, an interesting experience. But I met Zelda Rubenstein and we became good friends. Mm -hmm. And but so Zelda, the lady, the actress, right? On the show. Yes, right. yes the famous psychic from Poltergeist. that's right with the voice <laughs> and she <laughs> took a shine to me and we became friends and i'd go to her birthday parties and she'd come to mine and we'd go out to dinner and she was just a hoot yeah um so that was but i have good memories about picket fences just it was kind of frustrating for me because i wasn't getting to write sure and see them come alive the way i had on the wonder years right one of the things i love about writing television is I like instant gratification. So, you know, you write something and then within a week or two, you know, it's everybody's 
well, not on the not air, on the air but they're making it, producing right. it, you know, they're, they're casting and costumes and props and all that sort of thing. So absolutely. You know, so when you leave picket fences and, you, and I know you obviously kept going to different shows, you know, was it all satisfying work for you? I mean, was each one like sort of a stepping stone, like in a good way to something? Oh, like hell that? no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hell no. Um, <laughs> when I came off of picket fences, I had a meeting with Dick Wolf. My agent got me a meeting with Dick Wolf okay. for law and order. And I said to my agent, are you crazy? I'm not a law and order writer. Right. Dick Wolf read your, uh, he had read my, I think he read my Northern Exposure, my draft of the Northern Exposure. Right. And he wanted to meet with me. And he told me that he wanted to expand the character side of things with the show. Cause it was, you know, very procedural. Yeah. And so I got hired and it turned into this very bizarre situation I was only there for 13 episodes. And by the time I got fired, I was welcoming being fired. Wow. It was just a bad fit. I am yeah. not a procedural writer. Yeah. I cannot, everything I write has to have a, just a dash of humor to it. And so I was on the first season that Sam Waterston joined the cast after okay. Michael Moriarty had left. Right. And so that's the season that I joined and I did write half of a couple of episodes, two or three, I can't remember, but it was a struggle. Yeah. It was a struggle for me. It just was not a good fit. And um, I was not happy there, but my resume now included the wonder years, Northern exposure, picket fences and law and order. That's pretty good so, resume, man. You know, back then, you better believe it. And so I varied. The timing was perfect because Party of Five had just been picked up for the back nine of their first season and they were looking for someone. And so I went in and I met with Chris Kaiser and Amy Lipman. They seemed to like me. They hired me and I found a really good home on Party of Five for however many seasons I was there. I had a ball. Right. Uh, writing that, going to our sound stage where the Salinger house was, was one of the sound stages where they filmed The Wizard of Oz. So I was just, yeah. I was in old Hollywood heaven, working on the old MGM lot and uh, great writers that came through there and um, got to write some really fun stuff on that show. Uh, Chris Kaiser joked in some interview somewhere he said yes mark perry gets to write the funny episodes of party of five <laughs> <laughs> party of five is not necessarily it's not a laugh fest a tearjerker <laughs> exactly right. so right but that was that ended up being a good experience so. okay but once you get as again you're talking over the years it's is it get tougher to get find the gigs or you know, it didn't for a while. I worked very steadily. That's what the, I thought. The, yeah. The first time I ended up not with a show was um, so I did. I was I briefly was on Brothers and Sisters and helped them start the second season of that show, and then I left before the. the actually, there was a writers' strike in that year. Writers' <laughs> and I I didn't go back after the writers' strike, and. Uh, but my friend PK Simmons from Party of Five called and he was running Ghost Whisperer. And he said, do you want to come work on that? And I was like, sure. 
Right. If it's a, you know, I, I, I like PK. Um, I had, I had uh, also Lori McCarthy was there and I had briefly worked on her show windfall. And so I walked in, it was a very friendly environment. It was a lovely group of people. It was my third network series with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, wow. Um, That's right. I also did the spinoff of party of five and, uh, I ended up having a ball on Ghost Whisperer. I thought we can write any crazy thing we want to write and they just make it. It's great. Yeah. It's fun. But what happened was PK was going to step down after running the show for two or three seasons. And Lori and I, our deals were negotiated. We were going to take over the show and co-run it. And then it got canceled abruptly. Right. But my agents had said, just sit tight. The deal's going to make, the show's going to get picked up. Uh, if it, if, because it was a co-production with ABC, they said, if CBS doesn't pick it up, ABC is going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a sure thing. So I took no meetings, no jobs. And then the show got canceled and it was after staffing season was done. Oh, wow. That was back when we still had, you know, staffing seasons and, uh, that was over with. And that was the first time I looked up and didn't have a job. Is that hard? I mean, is that difficult? I mean, look, I, I you know, I- actually, I took a year and dabbled in fiction and, you know, just decided to just not pressure myself. And then I'm drawing a blank. I can't remember what the next thing I did was. <laughs> was it a regular series gig? What was it? Or, or no? I mean, I don't, you know, it may have been, um, it may have been revenge after that, which was, a hoot. Right. that was yeah. a hoot. Um, yeah. I had met um, Mike Kelly who created it. I had met him. He worked for me on uh, One Tree Hill. Mm-hmm. So I ran the first two seasons of One Tree Hill. Um, and then and Mike was there the first season I was there. We became friends. And then he called me in. He wanted, he was interested in having me be his, his second in command, his number two on Revenge. Right. And I was in his office talking about the show. They showed me the pilot. This was back when you'd go in for the meeting. And the first thing I do is show you the pilot. Right. And then you'd talk about it. And uh, I was in his office when he got the call from the network that the show had been picked up to series. And he was like, I want you, you, you have to do this with me. And that's nice. We had a, that first season, especially was, it was a rough ride in terms of producing those episodes, but boy, was it fun to write that show. Yeah. Well, you got a lead character like that. Who's like, <laughs> can do get away with anything. Basically that's, that's what happens. I mean, we had a uh, early on, we had an episode where that dealt with her child therapist who had locked her in a closet and, you know, was working for the Grayson family and was trying to, you know, silence this girl or whatever. I can't remember. And so present day, when she's back there pretending to be somebody else, we had her kidnap the therapist and lock her in a storage unit. And in the original pitch, we had, she wakes up and she's in this storage unit. She can't get out. And there's a clock on the wall that's ticking down to zero. And I forget however many hours it had. And she's like, and then, you know, the idea was that she was going to be tormented. And we turned in this outline or whatever. And then we had one of our famous notes calls with the network. And they were like, you can't do this. If, if you do, that makes, it makes your lead character a, a sociopath. And Mike and I were on the speakerphone and we both said at the same time, she is a sociopath. (laughs) 
That's the premise of the show. The show is called Revenge. It's called Revenge. She's <laughs> driven by revenge. Yes, she's right. a sociopath. And we ended up doing the episode, but we had to soften some of the right. more torturey elements of it. But but she did actually uh, get to kidnap and imprison oh, good. therapist for a while. Can you but. imagine? I mean, sometimes you wonder if these networks, when they buy these shows, if they even look at what the premise is of these shows, given their reactions to them. Well, they were very excited about the show. And I remember, you know, that was... It's always fun, like like when I was on Party of Five and it was at its height and they would have events like at the um, the place up at Universal, Universal Studios City Walk or whatever. Yeah. They had a big thing for like, I think it was the show premiere and there were fans everywhere. And it was just, it was really fun to work on a show that people really were responding to. Sure. Like the Wonder Years too. I mean, I had that on the Wonder Years. But I remember um, with that, we were shooting some location stuff in San Francisco once. And all of a sudden I heard like screaming and I, we were shooting on a city street uh, on a block. And all of a sudden Scott Wolf came running around the corner and he was being chased by this <laughs> gaggle of girls. It's like the Beatles, you know? And I thought, wow. <laughs> That's pretty good. Not bad for an old guy. Yeah. Um, and then revenge was the same thing. I, I went to a wedding back home and people wanted to sit at my table and find out. It's like you were talking about earlier. They want to know what's, what's, what's happening. Tell me, tell me yeah, what's going to happen on revenge. It's like, I can't tell you that. Exactly. No spoilers. Pay but attention. All the fun. Exactly. Right, exactly. Well, you're going to have a lot more of that. If, if dark shadows goes, I mean, you're going to have people examining and following everything you do with that, man. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. You know what? I, I welcome it. I, you know, if people are that invested in a show and they mm. care that much, I think that's great. Cool. You no. Know? And I hope, I mean, I don't know, but I'm hoping that some of these, you know, little publicity that's happening now maybe can get people excited about it. And yeah, I'm sure there are going to be the people who say, I won't watch it. Cause it's not, mm. it's not my, we're not featuring 80 year old actors running around playing right. all these characters. I'm not watching. It. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I welcome it. Cool. Before I give you your life back, just jumping back to Wonder Years for a minute, I'm just curious. In your mind, what is the power of the show? Why, why did it connect with people, in, in your opinion, uh, the way it did? And I think still does. The fact that we're getting a reboot of it, uh, obviously a very different version of it. But what is the power of the Wonder Years? The power of the Wonder Years is the universality of it. That most of those stories, everybody can relate to regardless of their station in life. The other thing about the Wonder Years was, and it's something I've become aware of even more now, is it was transgenerational. Children watched the show because it was, it was shows about them. They could relate to it. And adults, of course, could relate to it because of the nostalgia. Right. And I think it resonated because you would do an episode about a first pimple, you know, right. um, things that, you know, those rites of passage that most people have been through. And as for the reboot, I think it's a brilliant idea. Oh, I yeah, think to, if you're going to bring that show back, this is the way to do it. It's a really smart take. I can't wait to see it. Uh, it's going to be a little weird because it really makes me feel old. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's like, oh, something I worked on is being rebooted. Yeah. And here I am trying to reboot something that I loved when I was a kid. But yeah, it's um, I think it's very smart. And I'm glad Fred's involved. And um, 
I, I think it's going to be good. I can't wait. If you'd like to hear more from Mark, please check out our Vampires and Slayers podcast, where he talks about his next series, Dark Shadows Reincarnation. If you enjoy superheroes, we hope you'll look into our Voices from Krypton's podcast. In the meantime, please subscribe to TV Retrovision. Tell your friends about us and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you before the next rerun.